Good morning. morning. Well, as you know, today's Father's Day, and we will talk about that topic, even though it may make Kevin wiggle a little bit in the seat. I think I think he'll survive all right. Um, But before we get into that topic, I couldn't help but to notice in the bulletin how the month of June is just packed with great, great birthdays. Um, I had one last week and other important people have one this week. And uh, my son Josiah, but others. But I just was struck by how many important people were born in the month of June. Um, But the other thing I was struck by is that we have a notice of happy anniversary and there's none this week. And uh, I think that's kind of politically, politically correct statement, because what about the people that would take issue that have had an anniversary this week? It just wasn't a happy one. Okay. None this week. No happy anniversaries this week. Maybe there were some mediocre or parenting. I just read a little, uh, actually watched a little news clip about how easy parents have it today. That was the headline, something about parents have it easy today. I thought. Okay, what is this about? And it was about the new gadgets that are offered to parents. And boy, do they have some nice gadgets out there if you're willing to pay the money. But they have strollers now that you can adjust literally everything on them. The tires, the the handle height, the seat rest, so that they're, they're as customizable as possible to you. And they even have them now that will carry up to about 250 pounds. So you can put your cooler in them. Take them out on the beach and everything. It's amazing. They have a a bassinet. I think it was about twelve hundred dollars, but you can't put a price on the sleep of your infant. Um, it was called the womb something. The woo or womb. It was a play on words, and it was a bassinet, and it had like a cloth netting kind of hammocky type thing within the bassinet that somehow coddled your infant and and um, kept them on their backs. And then there was a an app you can get on your phone now. Monitors are a thing of the past because now the apps, they don't just tell you when your baby's crying. They will pretty much tell you everything about your baby. If they're resting, how they're breathing, if they're restless, all of this on an app. So you can really parenting is just there's nothing to it anymore these days with the technology that we have. It's just easy schmeasy. But I want to introduce our topic with a little bit of humor since my initial humor didn't get off the ground very well. But uh, here's uh, something that a father has said just once on Father's Day. I wish my kids would give me the number one dad mug instead of my actual ranking as a dad. And this dad says, I have mixed emotions when I receive my Father's Day gifts. I'm glad my children remember me, but I'm disappointed they think I dress like that. Now, this is a text from one girl to another girl. I've got some kind of allergic reaction going on. My face is breaking out in a bad rash. My mom's freaking out and wants to take me to the ER. And my dad's like... Let's not make any rash decisions. And we high-fived each other, and my mom's like yelling at us. 
Now this I've shared before, but it's just clever. So now there's four men in the waiting room. All four of their wives are in the delivery room having babies. And then a nurse comes out into the waiting room and says to one of the men, congratulations, your wife has just given birth to twins. And he says, wow, that's strange. I work for the Minnesota Twins. And then a few moments later, a nurse comes into the waiting room and says, congratulations to the next guy. Congratulations, your wife has given birth to triplets. And he says, well, that's strange. I work for 3M. And then a little while later, the nurse comes back out and says to the other guy out there, congratulations, dad. You are the father of quadruplets. And he says, that is really strange because I work for four seasons. And then about that time, the fourth man was seen just beating his head against the wall, moaning and groaning. And the other guys were like, hey, what, sir, what, what, what's the matter? And he said, I work for seven up. <clears throat> OK, so. My first point actually isn't even in the bulletin. It's not in my notes or anything. But as I was thinking about my message this morning, it's a point that I'd like to make um, as much as possible, especially when we consider Father's Day. And um, when Lisa and I were family planning and reading all the books we could on parenting, so we had at least some clue what we were getting ourselves into Um, I was all excited about it. And one of the things we read just really gripped us and and has gripped me throughout my life because I was ready to jump into the parenting thing. But here's what the bit of advice was. And I I don't want to credit the wrong person, so I won't credit anybody, but it's not for me. But basically, he, he said the best thing you can do for your kids is to love your wife. So here I am ready for the parenting thing. And and that's how it starts. The best thing you can do for your kids is to love your wife. So that's point number one that has nothing to do with the rest of the passage, but everything to do with fatherhood. Let's love our wives. Well, I'm going to look at a passage of scripture this morning that actually uses earthly fatherhood as an analogy to teach divine fatherhood. So. Really what the passage is teaching is the, the how incredible our heavenly father is. But in order to do it, it touches base with earthly fatherhood. And in doing so, teaches us quite a bit about the role in the office of fatherhood. And so I'm going to kind of preach it upside down, you might say, or look at the passage from the, the back door, you might say. And you can learn about both. But the passage is in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. So let me read that for you. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Now, God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. 
For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. First of five points is the pattern of fatherhood. As we think about fatherhood today, I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that God is the father of all fatherhood. And that's one thing that this passage teaches very clearly. And also we find this in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 15. The Apostle Paul says, I'll read it to you, but God is the ultimate father figure, the father of all fatherhood. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And in Greek, there's a play of words there between father and and uh, family. John Stott actually translates this little portion of scripture to say the father from whom all fatherhood is named. And so we, we don't want to lose sight as we diligently engage in fatherhood and try to absorb all we can from examples around us. We don't want to lose sight of the original father of fatherhood, the one who has designed it. And fatherhood is figured after God because God is the ultimate or the archetype father figure. So our standard of fatherhood always needs to start there, begin there or or look to their gaze at the character of God to learn about fatherhood. That's how we maintain biblical fatherhood or it's how we revive biblical fatherhood if it has fallen to the side. And I know a lot of people because of the brokenness in our societies, a lot of the young men grow up thinking, what am I going to do? You know, I want to have children or I just had a baby and I don't know how to be a father because my dad wasn't there for me. And I'd say fatherhood is not lost. And you do have an example. You do have a figure. You just look to the Holy Scripture and begin to study the very character of God, because that's where the idea came from in the first place. He is the origin of fatherhood. Very, very pertinent to our time today, I think. Some of us have not had a father in our lives or at least our biological father in our lives, perhaps ever. And maybe we've had our biological father in our lives, but he just really was not much of a father. And we might be very tempted to panic and say, I can't do it. I'm I'm too scared. I didn't have the necessary example in front of me. I just don't know how. And I think scripture would say you do know how and you can do it. Because God is the ultimate example of fatherhood to look to. So we want to mimic him. We want to act like him. We learn from him. We watch him. We we study him. And when we do that, we find that God is committed. That God is faithful. God is loving. God is firm when he needs to be firm. He's wise. He's just. He's adoring. He's generous. He has a sense of humor. He's pure and right. He's forgiving. He's hardworking. He's protective. He's prioritizing. These are all attributes of God, the character of God that that we are. We learn in Holy Scripture that we as dads or aspiring dads are to emulate. You take those characteristics and you 
You put them into your practice of fatherhood. And that's what it looks like. He's serving. So we know what it looks like. And I also know that there's a sense in which our fathers or our father figures that went before us serve as a very powerful example, good or bad. And it's almost and I say almost because it's not impossible, but it's almost impossible not to fall into those same patterns and or habits, good or bad. And the fact of the matter is God did create us to learn by example. I'm sure you've you've noticed that when you want to learn something, you look at somebody and whether we realize it or not. Kids are always watching because God put it into us to learn. One of the ways is by watching and looking and observing. And so we might think, but I've observed this kind of fatherhood and I don't know how to get out of it. And this passage brings us back to God as the original father, the father of all fathers. So maybe we didn't have a good example in our earthly father. We have a good example to follow in God, our father. And maybe we never had a good example in our lives, but God has called you to Christ. He saved you and the Holy Spirit lives in you. Then you can believe if you are a man that, that desires to be a father, that this is the kind of father he wants you to be. So perhaps he's saying you be the first one. You set the trail. You blaze the trail. You forge it. You do what's right. You follow after the heavenly father. For those to come under you. So just the very beginning of this passage is really filled with hope and with opportunity, even for those of us that perhaps had it really hard growing up. Maybe God's calling us to do it. Maybe we say, but my my father just had explosive anger. Be the gentle one. Or my father was was just way too harsh. Be the balanced one. My father was was never there. Be the present one. These are decisions these that we can make in a mindset that we can adopt by God's grace to impact those gifts that God perhaps may give us. Our society, I think we can certainly find plenty of bad examples, even just watching TV, going to the movies. You're going to find lots of bad examples of fatherhood. Fathers, I think, in some sense, have abandoned and are abandoning their posts, at least from a biblical standpoint. But its true essence can never be lost because God is eternal. And God reveals himself as a father figure. And therefore, we will always experience the father figure, the fatherhood of God. It's an eternal thing. So it will never be lost, no matter how bad we may mess it up in our culture. There's always something to go back to in that true essence of the word. Always a starting point to go to. You know, part of being a new creation in Christ is that God does new things in us. And one of the things that he might want to do in our young men and in young men like myself is to create this new character, this new way of conducting our lives, this new leadership, this new way of being relational. That's what Christ, that's part of what the new work that Christ wants to do 
in men's lives. So we can also, in light of this, thank God for the good godly figures that perhaps we've had in our lives. Because a lot of us have felt that safety. We, we felt love. We felt well nurtured and protected. But it's only because our fathers made the hard decisions to, to invite God into their lives. And to say, God, chisel me and hew me out. I want my character to be like yours. And only because our dads did that and suffered for it sometimes and denied themselves for it on many occasions did we have it so good. And can we we can stand on that favored platform and begin our fatherhood from that level. But even then, still, we want to remember that it is our heavenly father that is the ultimate model. Follow what's good in the father figures in our lives, but always attain attain to the example that God sets. The same love, the same protection comes. Keep on climbing. Don't stop there. If you had a great childhood, if you have a great father, be even better with God as your pattern. So here's a challenge before moving on to the next point. As you think about all of the words Scripture uses to characterize God, how many of those words would my children use to describe me and my fatherhood? Dad is or dad's fatherhood is characterized by how many of them are equal to or match The descriptions of God himself. That's a good challenge for us. Biblical fatherhood is recognizable in Holy Scripture. Well, how important is it for dads to follow God's lead here? We see this in our second point. In this role or the office that God has designed in fatherhood. Now, on Mother's Day, we saw the importance of mothers and made the case that it's not just mommy's milk that children need. They don't just need mommy because they're a source of groceries, but they need moms because they need mom's tender touch. They need mom's warmth. They need to be held and cuddled. And many would just as soon have that safe feeling and what it does to their physiology And forego the food if it came down to a choice. So that's how instrumental touch and love the love of a mother is. But dads are absolutely instrumental as well. And you've heard it said that about any man can have a baby, but not just any man can be a father. And that's true. The the, the office that God has bestowed upon fatherhood. And I want to... Read a quote purposely taken from a professional that is not a professed Christian, because I want us to just see not just from Scripture or from a biblical world view, but just see what we have learned in society by using our ability to learn anything that God gives us. And so professionals, even outside the church, conclude things like this. And this quote comes from Dr. Gail Gross. And she is pretty renowned in her field, a child um, and family specialist, has three doctor degrees and so forth. 
She says studies show that if your child's father is affectionate, supportive and involved, he can contribute greatly to your child's what? Cognitive language and social development, as well as an academic achievement, strong inner core resource, sense of well-being, good self-esteem and authenticity. Your child's primary relationship with his or her father can affect all of your child's relationships from birth to death, including those with friends, lovers and spouses. Those earthly, those early patterns of interaction with father are the very patterns that will be projected forward into all relationships. Girls will look for men who hold the patterns of good old dad. Therefore, a father was kind, loving and gentle. They will reach for those characteristics in men. Girls will look for in others what they have experienced and become familiar with in childhood. Boys, boys, on the other hand, will model themselves after their fathers. They will look for their father's approval in everything they do and copy those behaviors that they recognize as both successful and familiar Thus, if dad was abusive, controlling and dominating, those will be the patterns of their sons that they will initiate, emulate. However, if father is loving, kind, supportive and protective, boys will want to be that. She says it is impossible to overestimate the importance of dad. I mean, what area of life hasn't even been touched on yet? Speech, cognitive development, physical development, relationships. No wonder she says it cannot be overestimated. In other words, what we know is tremendous, but this is such a powerful influence that dad has that we can't even overestimate how far it is taken, how far it's, it goes into other people's lives. And I would say by God's design, yeah. So she goes on to say further children who are well Bonded and loved by involved fathers tend to have less behavior problems or somewhat inoculated against alcohol and drug abuse. Yet when fathers are less engaged, children are more likely to drop out of school early to exhibit more problems in behavior and substance abuse. Research indicates that fathers are as important as mothers in their respective roles as caregivers, protectors, financial supporters and most importantly, models for social and emotional behavior. Now, come on, let's be honest. If we could in our medicated world, if we could put all of this into a drug, if we could take this kind of power and this kind of effect that 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 would have on our children, we could put it into a drug. We'd be popping them like crazy, wouldn't we? If we could feel safer, if we could be relationally developed and be more at peace and feel more loved and be more advanced and successful, we'd be popping these pills like crazy. And God put all of that power into what? Into dads by his design. And it's, it's laid out there right for us. This is not a Christian telling us these things. Look at the power that God has bestowed in fatherhood. We are being watched. We are being emulated. It's scary, but yet it's hopeful. It's scary because it means people will pick up on our bad habits. But it's hopeful because it means by the grace of God, 
If I can slam my fist on the desk or the table and say, I'm not doing that anymore, but this is how I'm going to live by the grace of God, then people will follow. Now, that's a beautiful thing. And we need those kind of men. We need those kind of dads in our society, do we not? And in our families. And it's just laid right out here. Always been, we've always had this. But in our godless thinking, we just reject it. Our passage asks, in light of this, an inconceivable question, unthinkable. The author of Hebrews says in verse 7 and 8, God's treating you as sons. And here's the question, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Sorry. That's great timing. Sorry about that. Ah. Uh, Anyway, for what here we are in verse seven, eight, God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Of course, discipline, it's not just not just punitive. It's it's the whole nurturing, caring thing. It's it's done in love. It's not about we, we think of it always as the beatings part of it. It's the whole package of love and, and and cherishing and doing that which is right, doing what's necessary to try to produce what is right. And th- this question that's asked is what father wouldn't discipline his son? It's like unthinkable question. It's rhetorical. But what father would not involve himself because if he doesn't? It's like a dad that that has a child, but acts as if he didn't. It's not even doesn't care at all. It's not involved in his life at all. And that's just unthinkable. You know, he's using this, of course, to show the power of the fatherhood of God. But look how unthinkable it is that a man would give birth to a child and then not care and act as if he didn't even exist. Father figures, incredibly important. And by the way, not just biological fathers. See, we're so wired to need this good example and to need man's approval that if you play a father figure in someone that is needy, it works. Now, it's not the same. And some of you out there that have not have a a good father figure or a biological father in your life may say, but it's not the same, Pastor Paul. And I know it's not. But it works because this office is so powerful that if you give the right approval and adoration and nod to those that are looking to you in that office, they will follow it and they'll feel that love and that affection. It really works. And we're seeing it unfold in our church family, are we not? Because some of you have reached out to kids that... That need that stability because they're not getting it anywhere else. And and you spend time with them or you've even invited them into your homes and and said, just be a part of me and be a part of my family. And you've put your. Blanket of protection over them and it works. That's how powerful fatherhood is and that's how powerful we are created to need the goodness that God can Stuff into our little hearts and souls. And I am very glad to be able to witness that in our church 
family. And it's so ironic that we live in this age where the, 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 the new thing is, especially for our youth, is to be free from discipline. To be free from mom and dad's instruction and restrictions and to just do our own thing. You know that's what's being hailed in our youth culture. The Bible says, oh, no, that's not a, that's not a, a platform of privilege. That's, that's a dishonor. It's like illegitimacy. The platform of privilege is to be under the care of mom and dad. That's where your true freedom is found. Not to try to escape it. Third, respect. We see this in the respect of fatherhood in verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. This kind of biblical discipline and nurturing. A garner's respect. And it may be slow coming. But it garners respect. It's built in. And when we come to our senses, that's when we respect it. That's when we see it. So it's not just it's it's a universal recognition, I think, that from consistent discipline, consistent love, protection, nurturing, role modeling, involvement, engagement comes a, a respect that is due. And it's interesting because in verse 11, the author recognizes that there are forms of discipline that hurt. He says it's painful. And I've had my share of those painful disciplines. And they do hurt. And they draw tears. And for me, whelps and everything else on my backside. And it's interesting when you think about the whole concept of fatherhood and how Almost counterintuitive it is for a father to have to inflict pain on his child. Because the whole office of fatherhood is about, man, I love you and I'm, I'm the one who's going to keep you safe. And if a father hears his child crying, just like a mom, they're aware. And then when they hear that cry, not to just go from a whiny cry, but to I need help cry. Adrenaline starts flowing. You know, certain high-pitched sounds that our kids will make when we know the difference between I'm just pitching a fit and I need you, Dad, I need some help. And you just go out there and it's, it's your desire to protect them from any harm. You're not going to mess with my kid, not on my watch. And yet on the same time, it's also the Father's office to inflict pain. So it seems counterintuitive. But yet both... The protection from pain and the infliction of pain, whatever level that might be, is a sign of love. It's a show of love. Because in this broken, fallen world, sometimes our children need that kind of correction. They need that kind of correction because Proverbs tells us that there's something that's bound up in our hearts. And it's called foolishness. It's folly. And that's an ethical disobedience. It's a moral fault there. And so we learn from God's word the boundaries, the lines that he sets in place in order for us to live blessed lives the best we can in a broken world. 
And he says, you know, here's the circle of the covenant. It's the circle of goodness and favor. And outside is where you make yourself vulnerable to evil. And so because that foolishness is in our children, we have to uh, we are protecting them from that evil by disciplining them in this nice. uh, uh, Controlled, safe environment. It's not a wild, evil punishment. It's a. It's a controlled, loving, safe punishment that produces, as Corky reminded us this morning, if we follow our Heavenly Father's model, it's redemptive. Our text says God's punishment is discipline. It's always good. Always good. And so it's necessary sometimes for dads to inflict some kind of hurt. That's safe, because if you continue, child, in that direction, you're making yourself very vulnerable to evil. You're you're growing evil and you're going to be vulnerable and you're going to yield that evil in your life. And so dads need to curb that. They have that job. Teenage years have the potential, don't necessarily have to be, but have the potential to be the most painful I know my teenage years, I took me a while to figure it out. But when I became a teenager, voila, I knew it all. And it was wonderful to know it all. I didn't need mom and dad in my life anymore. I didn't need their restrictions. I didn't need their advice. I had it all figured out. I was way ahead of the times just as a teenager to know as much as I did. And unfortunately, my idea of how I should live and their idea Uh, It got rough and there were a lot of raised voices and arguments, heated arguments, and I had a lot of anger fits. It was it was a very difficult time, especially between my mother and I did not go over well. But later on, something magical, if you will, happened. I'll tell you what that something magical was. But later on, something happened and I began to see, wait a minute. My parents actually were pretty smart about these things. And the times that they said yes when I wanted to hear, the times when they said no when all I wanted to hear yeses, they actually, I wish I would have listened to them. There was wisdom in that. And the times they said no, you need to stay here when all I wanted was freedom, there was wisdom in that. What was the little magical thing that happened? Maturity. I started to grow out of my foolishness. And it is pride that doesn't enable us to see our need for these things. Implied pride blinds us. And when Christ came into my life and I began to see uh, to, to see there was such a thing as humility and learning from other people that I didn't know at all. It was amazing how smart my parents got. I mean, they were incredible. And the more we mature, the more we respect our parents. We look back. And I'm sad to say it doesn't always happen at the same time. Sometimes. The pain comes first, but we look back and we respect our parents for it. Scripture admits that we respect them in our maturity. And if you think you appreciate your parents now, wait till you have kids of your own. And you see how they are raised and you see what goes on in their minds and you see how they behave and you see what patterns they sometimes follow after. And then you will really respect the way that your parents did things. For you. Respect. And then fourth. Imperfection. 
I hope this doesn't crush my kids. Two of them are here with me. Um, I'm sorry to have to bring this up in public in front of the whole church family, but I didn't do everything right as your father. Um, And I even have a biblical text for it now. But verse 10, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And the Bible is recognizing two very real limitations that dads face in their fatherhood. And the first one is time. For a short time, earthly fathers are able to discipline, nurture, raise, instruct their children. It's just a short window, whereas God has a lifetime. God has the advantage there. We're not God. And, of course, all of his efforts are good. Um, So... You know, we have, I don't know, it really depends on your child when they grow up on the inside and and in their minds, 16, 18, 20 years or so. That's the window of opportunity God gives us to to nurture our children in the ways of the Lord, to to play the part that we can to make them what they should be or the potential that God has placed in them to be. And, you know, you have kids and they're infants and you think, man, I just love my kids. I'm, they're just gonna, it's going to be like this forever. And then the next thing you know, they're, they're walking and then they're talking and then they're driving your cars and then they're graduating and, and they're gone. And seriously, in hindsight, you look when they become teenagers like, oh, my goodness, I only have them for another couple of years and I intended to do this and I intended to teach them this and I intended to, to work this in them and they're gone. And there comes a place where our, our parenting from the inside, that opportunity, it, it came in and is passed. And now we can only stand on the sidelines and that's it from here on out. As a matter of fact, if we keep trying to parent on the inside when they're grown and they're adults, then we just mess them up. So you get this short, this short window of opportunity. It's a limitation. It's a reminder to us as dads to look at our kids. And I needed actually to be reminded of this at least every year because I just lost sight of it. But you only have your kids for a limited amount of time to influence them in this way. And they're gone. And they need to be gone. That's how God designed them, to be individuals and adults on their own. Time is short. Take advantage of that season. But not only is the time short, but... You know, sometimes dad's efforts are short. We just fall short. We discipline fathers as it seemed best to them. The uh, New English Bible translates that as this. They disciplined us according to their lights. So dads, according to the light that they have, the knowledge, the wisdom, the way they see life works, the light they have about your character, kids, that's how we discipline But we're limited in light. Of course, this is about God's fatherhood and he is unlimited in light. He knows it all. He's never going to get it wrong. It's never hit or miss for God, which is so comforting. But for for earthly dads, you know what? Sometimes it is. It's hit or miss. It, It is that way. We make the best judgment call based on what we know. And it's not always right. It's imperfect. And. It means that despite the, uh, the sitcom, fathers don't always know best. Maybe most of the time, maybe a lot. And that doesn't mean don't obey or respect because we are to honor and obey and respect. But it, 
We just have to know, even as kids, we got to cut our parents slack sometimes. And I know they're the adults and they're supposed to be right all the time, but they're not. We need to cut them slack. So what do you do when in, in hindsight, perhaps, or maybe right on the spot or a few minutes later, you realize I just blew it. I just blew it. Well, the passage is teaching us really in the big picture. We're all just God's kids. He disciplines us as kids and as adults. What do we do? We do what any other Christian would do. We go to our kids and we say, man, I'm so sorry. I called it like this and I was wrong. I'm sorry it hurt you. I'm sorry you got to live with that. Please forgive me. And that's part of being a father. That's part of setting the example of what it means to be humble. What it means to ask forgiveness. I've had those moments in my life. Where I look back and think, ah, brought me to tears. So, we want to cut ourselves some slack in the area of repentance. I mean, we want to repent and realize we're not God as dads. We just repent for it and kids cut us some slack if you be so gracious. We're not perfect. But the respect is there. The office is there. Even in the imperfection, my dad had nine kids. He spanked us all. He trained us all. He disciplined us all. And every one of us respect my dad tremendously. And the respect, he's 92 now. The respect just grows. I don't know how it happens. It just grows. Well, it happens with my sense of maturity. But the respect just compounds, it seems. And my dad let me have it with his bare hand on my bare bottom. I don't know if that was a fad. I didn't get to I didn't get to choose my method of discipline. I didn't bring the options of discipline book to mom and dad and said, this is the one I pick. I want to be disciplined with lollipops. Cheyenne told me that this morning. Mm hmm. See. So that's what I got the bare bottom. The hand for sometimes it was a paddle and mom had her creative methods. But it was that same hand, that same hand that just tickled me till I wet my pants. It was the same dad that took me fishing. Same, same man, same man that played catch. Same man that let me drive his cars. Same man. Same man that uh, stood behind me when I wasn't <laughs> worth standing behind. And then lastly, yield. So where's all this headed? What's the meaning? What's the purpose? What are we looking for? When times get hard and we as dads might think, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. Or I don't want to be the bad guy in my kids' lives. Or I don't want to have to 
be the, the disciplinary and then watch my kids that used to jump into my arms, run from me and jump into mom's arms. It's too hard. I don't want to watch that. So what do we look for? Well, we look for the yield and scripture says, yes, it's unpleasant. I, I give you that. It's not fun, but it's all pointed in a certain direction and actually is aimed at yielding something. And of course, that is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Verse 11, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It often comes later, not at the time. Sometimes you get little sprouts, you get little pieces of fruit, a little bite here and there, and it's great. But mainly in the big picture, it comes later. And anything short-sightedness that prevents us from keeping the big picture in mind, we're after godliness, we're after God likeness we're we're trying to, by God's grace, produce in ourselves and our children godliness. And we got to trust God for that yield. And fatherhood really is an expression of faith and belief in God that this works, that God designed it and that I'm his instrument as flawed as I may be. It is a tremendous expression of faith to stand in the office of fatherhood for the glory of God. Of God. And we have to believe, as Rick reminded us, that God rewards those that diligently seek Him. He's a God that is a rewarder kind of God, a gift giving God, a generous God. So good fatherhood produces this, this righteousness. And remember what righteousness is it's right standing. You're right with something. And rather than being right with the world and wanting to get their nod of approval, our fatherhood can, can aid in the production of being right with God, meaning having right standing where our children see for themselves their need for Christ. That diligent, disciplined love, nurturing points all in that direction where they have God's nod of approval and there is no greater thing. The sweetness between that relationship between God and I. That's what every Christian parent wants for their children is to be right with God. Why would we not? Because when you are in God's hands, you cannot be in any better hands. And God is there for you all the time, your Lord and your Savior. And what is it that it produces? It's peace that comes from righteousness. Righteousness gives us that shalom. We can't expect to live in evil and be evil and experience this shalom at the same time. It's two opposing things. So the more of God we get into our lives, the more peace, the more righteousness, the more peace. And God gets it right every time. But we've got to be trained by it. It says it's the word we get for our word gymnasium. Take yourself to the gym. Kids, take your kid, fathers, take your kids to the gym. Eventually, we hope that our kids will take themselves to the gym of righteousness, of practicing godliness so that they're making the decisions on their own. Without us prodding and poking them in that direction. That's the goal. That the day will come when our kids will develop their own godly discipline. Their own relationship with God. That's the highest thing. And they adopt the character of God. That we, by God's grace, have exemplified before them. Holiness is the aim. So I thank God for the scripture in this passage. And I thank God... For my dad, and I thank God for my kids. Every time 
I think about the blessing that my kids are in my lives, I just thank God and I encourage you dads to thank the Lord. That time you get to cuddle your kids, the time you get to actually take a break and just rock your babies to sleep. And that's work because they need that. They need that from you. And you're just sitting there relaxing. Half the time you fall asleep as well and get rest. But that's what they need. Thank God for those times. Thank God for the sound of the pitter patter of little feet in your home. I miss that. Now it's studs. Thank God for those things. Thank God for the giggles and the hugs, the uncontrollable laughter. Thank God for that child that just is not passed out in sleep. Don't you wish you could sleep like that? Thank God for the pictures that they draw you and for the honor that they give you. May God bless the preaching of his word.